I, I remember the first time, first weekend we had football or something where I forgot where we were and all the kids had money and they went at the Coke machine and bought a Coke. Well, I had no money, so I just put my foot right in the middle of it and busted it. And I guess Bob seen me says, Gil, don't do that. You, you, you want a Coke, I, I'll buy it for you. Don't break the machine, which I had done already. <laughs> that was Gil Mendoza. And I'm Brad, and this is Beyond the Big Red Truck Podcast. What is up? Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for taking the time out of your day. I truly appreciate it. I'm truly grateful that you're listening to this conversation, and I hope that you get as much out of it as I did. I am absolutely blown away by the conversation I just had with a new friend of mine, Gil Mendoza. Talk about an amazing human, amazing life, and having one event, one single event, the amazing part, I just love this because the amazing part of Gil's story is that there literally was one event that he, that we talk about that changed his life and took him in a different direction. And it was one person who kind of helped him, was a mentor to him, gave him a choice, and Gil took that choice instead of going back to his life that he previously knew as you know, growing up in Watts, California, as a, a five-year-old, you know, in the gang environment, which is unbelievable. I can't wait for you to hear the whole story. And going, and his family moving to Lakewood, California, running into this amazing coach who gave him a choice to come out for the football team. Gil took that choice and it completely changed his life. And the trickle-down effect of the the influence that Gil has now had on I don't even know I mean hundreds thousands of of kids who have played under him and his coaching style and his life lessons in sports and it's absolutely amazing and he's got an amazing family he's got three amazing kids and I just really can't wait to share this story with you and the way that I met Gil was through our mutual friend so his football coach was my coach at Long Beach uh, City College when I went to play baseball down there. And I lived with uh, Coach Myers and his son and his mom uh, for my second year of college. And now me and Bobby are best friends since about 1990. And they are my extended family. And I was just down in Long Beach for Coach Myers' 90th birthday. And I saw this man talking to him. Uh, I, I couldn't hear everything because we're in a restaurant. We're in JoJo's. If you've ever been to Long Beach, it's a kind of a staple in Long Beach and a very famous place, especially if you like beer and pretzels and uh, peanuts. It's pretty awesome there. Um, and and I couldn't really hear, but there was, you know, some, you know, a little bit of tears and laughter and all that stuff. So I asked about, like, who was that guy speaking and... Uh, you know, Bobby told me the story and I was blown away. I'm like, I got to talk to that guy. And so I reached out to Gil. I gave him a call. No idea who I was. He had no idea who I was. And, and he liked my story. I liked his story. We connected and this is a conversation we had. So I'll stop talking and 
please just listen to this. Honestly, I cannot wait to talk to him again because there's so much more to tell about this amazing story, this amazing life, and this amazing man. So please take a listen. Enjoy. If you like it, please share this podcast because the more listeners we can get, the more lives we can affect. And if we can help change one life, let's do it together. All right. So here we go. Here's my conversation with my buddy, Gil Mendoza. Enjoy. Right on, man. Where do you want to start? How are you doing? Good, good. I had my grandkids for the night, and little one gives us problems, and uh, I bribed them. I went out and got donuts last night. I said, you got donuts for breakfast, guys. You guys sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, and that's what I, I gave them for breakfast uh, this morning. Nice. How, how old are but, uh, How You have more than one? Nine and five. Oh, nine and five. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I get it. The... Uh, the old little donut bribe. My son is a big donut fan yeah, too. Any anything. Yeah, exactly. And, and that, what bothers parent Jessica the oh. most uh, <laughs> is the oldest one, the nine year old. He he's got some athletic ability. You know, dad dad was a good athlete too, and and he just doesn't care for sports. And uh, I know it just drives Jessica crazy. Yeah. Know? She wants him to play baseball so bad. He played about three years of baseball. And part of the problem was the father, he's a good guy. Believe me, I, I, I couldn't do what he's done. He's been Mr. Mom ever since uh, Caleb was born. He has not worked. He was assistant manager of uh, an assistant and not a city manager of the city of Moorpark where they live. Oh, wow. And, uh, and he resigned from his job, and he's been Mr. Mom. After ever since, and uh, he even uh, he got his bachelor's degree on the computer. Oh wow! Four years of doing homework on the computer and taking care of Caleb, and then Caden came along. Wow, that's. But he has a BA degree, and I I've never heard of that before. About four years of college on the computer. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, I you know it's funny. I, I can't relate to that one hundred percent because I wasn't home all the time, but. Uh, you know, when I was firefighting and doing our shift work four on, four off. Um, so there was a, especially when my son was really young, uh, it was, you know, pretty much Mr. Mom, right? Cause we had four days off and then we had two day shifts and two night shifts. So even on the, on the two night shifts, it was, it was Mr. Mom. So saved us, saved us a lot of money in childcare, but, uh, Definitely. And you know what, man? I honestly wouldn't change it for the world. I, I got to spend so much time with my son, more than a lot of fathers. So, you know, I'm truly grateful for that as well, because a lot of fathers don't I, have I, the time. I was going to say, right, you're, you're closer. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, we you have... See, a- I, I, I ended up doing the same thing. Uh, I taught summer school, got through, they seemed like 20 years, and then got married to Karen and we had uh, Jessica and Alana and we had kind of like babysitters uh, during the summer because I was making good money teaching summer school. And then I got a little older, you know, where we could play with them and do things with them. Uh, we sat down, Karen and I, and we said, you know what? 
how, how much money, you know, are, are we saving by, I mean, are we making it and, and not spending time? I, she goes to work, I go to work, we're away from the kids. And says, uh, let, let's think about this. Uh, maybe you don't have to teach summer school. We, we, I mean, we can use the money, but we don't need the money. And so when they were about, about six and seven, almost when my grandkids are right now, I stopped teaching summer school. And I became Mr. Mom during the summer, which was the fun part. The sun was out. We're going to the beach. Uh, <laughs> uh, we got them involved in sports, and so I'm taking them to the sports. And, and you know, my wife continued working, but uh, I became so much closer. See, I was married before and had my son, the oldest, Walter, and Elena, my oldest daughter. And I, I, I worked 90 hours a week, Yeah, never home. Never, never got close to them. Never spent time with them to develop their skills in sports. And therefore, those are the two. Uh, Elena had some, my oldest daughter had some athletic ability. She uh, was the fastest girl uh, uh, in in this county for her age group. And uh, But I didn't spend any time with her with soccer, softball, or basketball like I did Alana and, uh, and Jessica. And you can see the, the two that came later, uh, and and the difference of the wives. My wife, first wife could care less about sports. And you think about this here. I'm a college player, you know, an athlete. She see me playing college, everything, loved it. But when I became a teacher and a coach, she didn't like that. Yeah, she didn't like. It. And that that was one of the reasons what what caused the, the divorce eventually. But anyhow, there was a difference of the two older kids and the two younger kids. I, I had more free time, spent more time with them, and uh, and we had fun. We played, but we had fun and and developed our skills as we went along. <clears throat> yeah, man, that's awesome. I, I you know I can totally relate to that, and uh, you know I love the way you talk about your kids because it's uh, it's the same way that I feel about my son. And, uh, you know, you just can't get those years back with the kids. And if you do, if you are no. fortunate enough to, to be able to spend that time, you know, and it, it really is about spending the time with your kids and, you know, and, and kind of giving them the skills, even the life skills, right. And, uh, and the experience and your, you know, I, for me, I, I want to be the person that uh, influences my kid, not, you know, not, a, you know, yes, other people, but, you know, if I can be there for him, you know, more often than not, you know, I know that uh, at least I'm trying to do my job anyways as a parent, so. But uh, and, and that's all we can do. Yeah. It's, it's all brand new to us. It's yeah. not like we go to a class and learn or something. It's trial and error. Yeah. And, and that's how you learn. And and I honestly can say I was a better dad with the second two than I was with the first two. Yeah. Because the first two, is, I'm learning, you know. Oh, for sure. And you're overwhelmed mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, here's here's your baby. Now go home from yeah, the hospital. Yeah. And you're like, what? Uh, okay. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, no, I get it, man, for sure. And uh yeah, I'd, uh, we we you know what? Uh, let's we can talk a little bit more about the kids, um, and but really, you know, I would like to just talk a little bit if you would want to uh, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, you growing up and your experience, kind of you know coming from where you came from, 
and then uh you know kind of where you got to so what was it like for you growing up okay. and you're you're east la uh growing up in east la so what was that like and about what like what was it that was in the 60s 50s oh no that was the 40s oh the 40s okay. 40s and 50s yeah we moved to lakewood i think we were in lakewood i'm gonna guess uh, Right around 1949, 50 or 51, right in there. Okay. Uh, we moved to Lakewood. But uh, up until seven or eight years old, we were in Watts, South Central Los Angeles. And uh, uh, my environment, uh, not knowing any difference, I, I just thought it was an everyday thing, and that was normal life. Well, my cousin Manuel was, of course, about 10, 12, 13 years older than us. And he was a pretty tough guy, and uh, he was president of uh, the Black Jokers, which was a big gang there in Watts. And uh, I can't tell you if it was all black or Mexican, but you know, we're Mexican, but mostly Mexican uh, uh, or, or black. I just remember just part-time, just watching my older brother, Louie, you know, uh, they were making zip guns back then, and... Uh, I don't know if you know what a zip gun is. Uh, uh, it's kind of like a, a Mickey Mouse pistol made where they kind of put a bullet in it and you wrap rubber bands, 100, 200 of them, just wrap rubber bands around where the trigger is. And what you do is you try and pull it back, and and when you let it go, you hope it hits the, the centerpiece of the, of the bullet and the damn gun explodes. It, it doesn't because it's... It's Mickey Mouse, you know. I mean, it's not right. a real gun, right? Uh, but it explodes. So for it to be active, you got to shove it in somebody's belly and shoot it. Oh, now man. you're going to do some. If you're a foot or two in away, you're going to do more damage to yourself than the person. Anyhow, oh. I never seen that. I just, I just help make these, and I just thought that was an everyday thing to do. Right. And uh, and then I had another cousin named Pito that lived two doors down from me and uh he that back then you could raise horses they had horses in their backyard and you're talking about right in the heart of watts and uh, he had a horse and and i remember he was trying to be a pitcher and i was about i'm seven eight or something and he was playing baseball and he was trying to get somebody to catch him well my cousin arthur of course was older didn't wouldn't catch him didn't want to catch him. Either was afraid of ball, didn't know how to catch. And then my brother Louie didn't want to catch him because he was a little on the wild side. <laughs> and so he bribed me. I was the youngest. And he says, if you catch me, Gil, for, for 10 minutes, you can ride my horse. Well, God, yeah, oh, I'm going to ride a horse. Yeah. And so he just, lucky I didn't lose my teeth or anything. And I, I got, and we had a field in front of our houses or a vacant lot. And I'd go over there every day, and he'd uh, throw pitches to me, and I tried my best to catch him. And, and he literally beat me up, but I didn't care. I got to ride his horse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, that, this is just a few things that I, I remember doing. I, I remember uh, you have alleys, and why I did it, I have no idea. And we had BB guns, and we had patrol cars, policemen that patrolled the area. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd be in the alley. They'd sneak out of the alley at night, and I'd try and put their headlights out. <laughs> oh, the <laughs> they, 
they never caught me because once I got into the jungle, the the alleys, even though they had lights, it, it just was too trashy, too overcrowded. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, they, I, I was like a rat. Yeah. I was like a rat. <laughs> I was gone. Sure, they didn't. Those wanna... are the things that I remember doing when I was a little kid. Then, then a blessing. Yeah, my dad had said, you know what, we're getting out of here, and he. You know, being an adult, you see, this is a, a bad environment for my children to grow up in. Even though he was raised in Los Angeles, mom, my mom and dad were both um, uh, born in Chihuahua, Chihuahua, Mexico, and came across the border uh, when they were teenagers into El Paso and then took the train to L.A. And then that's where my whole family was born in, in Los Angeles. Right. And I think my baby sister was born in Long Beach. Oh, but, okay. Uh, he uh, he got smart and said, "Hey, you know what? I'm we're going to move to Lakewood, brand new city." And uh, he couldn't afford it to start with, but his brother had been in the service, and he used the GI Bill, and we used the GI Bill to buy, to buy the house. And so we moved to Lakewood, and uh, now I'm a fourth grader, a fifth grader, something like that in school, and I have learning disabilities. I can't read. My retention is is terrible. My speech and pet, I'm going to tell you, the only thing at that point in my life that God gave me, I was fast, strong, very aggressive, uh, and I couldn't measure how far I could throw a ball because I didn't know yeah. <laughs> I was trying to throw the ball for a distance or anything like that. But he gave me all these gifts, and uh, we get to, to get to Lakewood, and, uh, and thank God because Long Beach is an athletic town, a great athletic Town. Anyhow, I go to the elementary school. I'm a fourth or fifth grader, and the whole semester when the and tell me if, if you're getting bored, or if you want me to get on another subject as I'm talking, okay? Oh, I'm or not, or I'm not get bored. Cut off. <laughs> I am not bored at all. Yeah, this is if, uh, this is fascinating for me, Gil. So just uh, yeah, I'll yeah, just you know, whenever you feel like. I, I'll, just, I'll just try and tell us I, I remember. Yes, please and, do. Uh, uh, I'm going to school, and um, at any night recess or lunchtime, everybody would race out to the field and touch home plate to play workup. And, of course, lunch was, what, only 35 minutes long. So, God, for half of the year, half the semester, I, I never got to swing a bat. Not unless I caught someone's fly bar line driving, which I didn't. And so all I did was shag balls and stuff. But this one day I finally get out there soon enough, and I'm number three, and uh, it's my turn to bat. I, I grab the bat, and a sixth grader comes up to me and knocks me down. He says, you're not hitting. You're a fourth grader. You can't hit. I go, no, I, I touched home plate. I, I'm, I'm up next. And he goes, uh, no, you're not. So I get back up. I guess that punches me right in the mouth. Oh. I go down. I come back. And I take the bat, and I break his jaw. Just oh. Bam, right in his face. Oh, man. <laughs> and, uh, Anyhow, there, I mean, everybody, everybody at school was there. And so they expelled me from school, and they wanted to let me back. They had talked to my mom and dad and with a psychiatrist. Why Why would your son hit somebody in the face with a bat? And my dad told, told him, and because this is what I told them. My father told me if I, there was anybody bigger and stronger than me that was taking advantage of me, Pick up anything you have and defend yourself. Well, I had the bat, and I defended myself. Right. They thought that was kind of crazy. But uh, 
So we go about another two or three months, and I'm in the classroom, and it's a recess, and everybody goes out. And again, like I said, I didn't speak uh, really great English or anything like that. And uh, this what what are the kind of a has well, he was a well dressed kid and kind of a, a popular kid, and he didn't let me out of the room. Why I was near the end, I I don't know because I loved you know being outside, and uh, he traps me in, in the classroom, and he starts calling me names and pushing me. And see, back then we couldn't afford tennis shoes, right. so I, I, all my brothers we wore combat boots, oh, like yeah. military combat boots. For they had war surplus stores, yeah. and that's what my dad bought were boots for us to wear. And he's all over me about my boots uh, and my clothes, you know, and wasn't anything like he. And he just bullying me to a point now, and his hands on me. Now I rebel and I just beat the shit out of him. Yeah. And I got him on the ground. The teacher comes back in and says, what's going on? This kid's girlfriend was in the room with us. She accuses me of bullying him and starting the fight. And, uh, you know, and I didn't say crap because I, yeah. like I said, I didn't speak well. Yeah. And, uh, the, the teacher again, you know, punishes me and, uh, two or three days later, recess, I get out recess. That girl just squealed on me. She's running and playing. I stick my foot out, trip her. She falls down and starts to get up, and I kick her right in the face. Oh, man. The teacher's standing right there. <laughs> oh. Are you still there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hello? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm okay. Here. Kick her right in the face. And, uh, uh, now they have the principal, the teacher, my mother and father, and they just said, you know what, Gil's got to go to a, a private school, but we, we do not want him, not just back in the school, we don't want him in the district. We, we think he's disturbed. For some reason, you, you, you don't accept that. And said, so we just don't want him back. Well, we're lucky. Lakewood was brand new, had a new elementary school. So I'll, I'll make a long story shorter. There, I had the problems academically, and I was in the principal's office all the time. Not not for being overly aggressive or anything, just disturbing the class because I, I couldn't keep up with the students. I couldn't read like they could read or write, and therefore I was doing something other than what I was supposed to be doing. The, the teacher would tell me to go to the principal's office, so my name was the vice principal at that school because I was there. Born, I was in the classroom. Oh, jeez. The following year, I'm going to junior high, and this is where I run into Bob Myers. Right. And there's, there's where my whole new life, a blessing started. I'm, I'm robbing the gym. He catches me. And anyway, well, he sees me. He can't catch me. <laughs> and I run from him, climb over the fence, flip him off, and run. And it takes him two, three days of looking for me in PE, and he finds me. And, he, and I takes me inside, and back then they swatted you, that like a paddle, uh, tennis paddle, like, and they'd swat everybody, you know, if, if you're misbehaving. Hey, knock yourself out. Yeah. Nobody could hit me like my dad. I didn't say that, though. But I just said, you know what, do whatever you got to do. Don't tell my father. Right. And he says, uh, hey, well, I got 10 guys out here. You think you're a tough kid. And I come out here at 3 o'clock after school, and so I did. And there was a football team, and that's the beginning of a 
a, a great life for me. Right. My whole outlook towards life has completely changed, you know. Yeah. Uh, Bob seen something f- f- about me in me, and he got it out of me. I, uh, football, I think we went three years undefeated, and we're playing Franklin Junior High, the Long Beach Poly kids. Right. Uh, I didn't know how to play basketball. It made me play basketball. Kept me out of the streets, and I hardly played because I, I was just learning to play. Right. First, then baseball came that I could play. And even then, uh, you know, he helped us so much. He was so good, as you know, as a coach, and uh, made me a switch hitter when I was seventh grade. I couldn't hit a curveball, fastball away. Uh, so he turned me around, and it just took him three days. It was really simple. He just said, you have three round, two, uh, three rounds of five cuts. You pull the ball or hit a fly ball, you're done. <laughs> you know that round. Yeah. In the next round, after three days, he said, "Swing away." Yeah. And that's when I. Not only was I lucky, he taught me to bat left-handed, but I later on in life found out my dominant eye was my right eye, and I wondered why it was so much easier to make good contact majority of the time left-handed and I did right-handed right. and that was the reason I could pick up off the ball sooner and it was clearer to me. So I, when I became a head, head baseball coach, even when I had the younger kids, I'd test the kids and it was pretty easy to test their eyes, which was their dominant eye. And I'd ask them if it was their right eye, you want to learn about left-handed? And some kids said yes, some said no, but uh, I taught both of my daughters about left-handed and both of them were the fastest girls in their age group. They we had a, a track club in Ventura County. Each each city had one: Camarillo, Oxnard, Ventura, Simi Valley. Had these clubs, track you know, uh, track clubs. And Jessica won the shot put, the hundred, the two twenty, the high jump, the the broad jump. A lot of my youngest daughter won the hundred, the two twenty. And she brought, uh, won the broad jump. And Elena, my oldest daughter, won the, the 100. And, uh, but a- anyhow, yeah. I never taught them to swing away. They were so fast. Their first three or four years of playing fast pit softball, uh, I taught them just a button slap. That's it. I never had them plant their feet and swing. And, uh, and I, I really felt I was cheating Jessica because when, they, when she turned 11, uh, we got a phone call and uh, and said, you know what, uh, we hear your daughter's a pretty good shortstop. We'd like to have her try out for a team. And, of course, I'm thinking recreational. I said, well, she is playing. She said, no, no, this this is not recreation ball. This is travel ball. Uh, if we're able to win certain tournaments, we'll go to national tournaments. And your daughter will face the best pitchers in the state of California. And if we're uh, – able to win the tournament in the state of California, which there are several, just not one. There are several states for age groups. And then we go to nationals, and your daughter will face the best pitchers in the United States for her age. And so I'd never heard of it. You know, all I did is play Legion baseball. Yeah. And uh, all we had was a state championship game. If You know, if you could get to that point, and that was it. So I had no idea what travel ball was. Took her, and she, of course, made the team. And uh, I think the first year she played, uh, uh, I just had her button slap. And uh, that summer of the second year, I got a 60-pound punching bag, hung it in my back patio, 
sprayed their strike zone in it, had them stand next to it, and in intermissions, I'd make them go out there and just take 10 cuts. And what I was teaching them to do is use their hips and their legs. Right. So now I was teaching them to swing with their feet planted to try and drive the ball. So this helped them a lot. They just, bam, yeah. bam, bam, you know, just beat that bag to death. Yeah. And the little one, Alana, did the same thing. And when they were watching TV, I had wrist roller. I had maybe a, a pound and a half, two pound piece at the end of the rope string. You know what the wrist rollers are. Meyer started me on that. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm familiar but, with that. <laughs> uh, they were watching TV and they do wrist rollers, uh, you know, two, three, four, five, rest a while, do some more wrist rollers. I had them do that, had them jump rope. <laughs> nice. So I had a minor gym here at the house. But anyhow, when Jessica turned 12, and that second travel ball, we went to uh, Pomona. Was it Pomona? Uh, anyhow, Torch Lancaster, a night tournament, and she's 12, playing 12 and under. And uh, her first time at bat, she hits the ball over 200 feet, and she's only a 12-year-old. <laughs> Out of sight. First, I'm going, oh, my God, I've been cheating this girl all this time. <laughs> and uh, But... Uh, that that's how I had those girls progress. Right. Anyhow, going back to me, back to school with Bob, and you know, he gave me confidence that I can succeed in, in other sports and sports in general by working hard. And, uh, I didn't have to rob anything or steal anything. Uh, right. uh, I, well, I, I remember the first time, first weekend we had football or something where I forgot where we were and all the kids had money and they, they went to the Coke machine and bought a Coke. Well, I had no money, so I just put my foot right in the middle of it and busted it. <laughs> and I guess Bob seen me. He says, Gil, don't do that. You, you, you want a Coke, I, I'll buy it for you. But don't break the machine, yeah. which I had done already. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, But, uh, of course, I didn't do it anymore. Yeah. But even going back before that, my first or second year in Lakewood, when I was still in elementary school, I mean, I... I it just, I don't know what gave me the ideas and why, but I, I'm an early riser. I get up at 5, 5.30, and I was the only one in the family. So I'd get up with my dog in Lakewood and just walk the neighborhood. Well, I, I see this truck come up to the liquor store or the market by our house, and they would drop off the Sunday papers, big stack of them, maybe 20, 30 papers, and... uh I just watched them do that. And I must have been, I had to be probably 10, something like that, 9 or 10. And so I, I following week, I seen them do the same thing. So I went over there and I took two or three of them. I stole them, basically. And I went to door to door and sold them. And I, back then, it was a quarter, I think it was the Los Angeles Times, right. that I stole. And I, I earned a quarter for each paper I, I sold. And uh, nice. I'd only sell like two or three of them. But back then, seventy-five cents would be like ten dollars today. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you don't have to kick. Well, I must have done that for about a month. The guy, the guy that delivers them, caught me. Must have dro drove around the neighborhood, and instead of turning me in, he was something like Bob, and he was a foreigner. He was a German. Yeah. And he he had that area of papers of the time, Los Angeles Times. And so he says, you want to make some money? And I go, yeah, I want to make some money. He says, I'll give you a nickel for every paper you sell. You know, so I, 
I sold 20 of my, I earned a dollar. I'd sell 20 newspapers. He says, if you sell 20, I'll buy you your lunch. Well, I ate like a horse when I was 10 years old. <laughs> and I, he bought me a lunch every Sunday. Nice. And I sold those 20 papers. Yeah. And I got a free lunch along with a dollar. Nice. And when I got older, you have to stuff those Sunday papers. He had a little shed there in Bellflower right next to Lakewood. And I could ride my bike. And he asked, you want to make some more money? He said, well, you want to stuff some papers? You know, and he went, took me to the shop and showed me how to put these magazines and advertisement inside the Sunday paper. I said, yeah, I can do that. So I did that all through junior high. Then I got my driver's license, and he says, you're going to drive the truck. So I ended up driving the truck, delivering the times where I originally started stealing them from. Is that a story yeah, or what? <laughs> yeah, and that's amazing. That's just, you know, another, you know, uh, amazing human and an influence on you to, you know, to give you some, you know, experience, some, some positive experience from all the, you know, negative stuff that you did have to deal with as a, as a kid and show you, you know, maybe that was teaching you and you maybe didn't know it at the time, but, you know, teaching you that, uh, you know, you don't have to be a certain way and there are nice people and good people and, you know, it does benefit you to, to try and uh, help other people. Right. And that's from, from what I gather so far too, is, I mean, that's what you have done since that time, since your experience with, uh, with coach Myers, um, you know, that was, those were a couple of points in your life where it sounds like, you know, you had a choice as well. You know, those people had a choice to help you, but then you also had a choice to accept that. Right. And, uh, I mean, those two, those two experiences in your life seem to have helped, you know, uh, influence what you did for, you know, even the rest of your life in the way that you, uh, you know, experienced your sports and the life lessons in sports and the way you raised your kids, like all those things, you know, lead up to the way that you are going to live your life. And I just think though, you know, just those two things alone are amazing. So, uh, commend you for that, man. That's, uh, that's amazing for, from where you were, where, where you were to where you got to. And, and I mean, we haven't even, uh, I still want to hear about uh, what happens after, you know, after your high school and you go on to coach and all that stuff too. So yeah, man, uh, if you want to just, uh, if there's anything else you want to say, but, uh, I would, you know, well, if you want to talk I'd, about your, your coaching career too. Oh, okay. Well, I got in that, well, I, I was at Lakewood. I opened up Nelligan with Bob there. First year it was there. I, I played football there and baseball there. Then Lakewood opened up, and Lakewood just down the street from our house. So I didn't want to go to Lakewood, but you know I hadn't didn't have a car for transportation, and it's right there. And I had to go to Lakewood. I, I would have been el- ineligible to go to Mellican from where I live. And uh, so I ended up going to Lakewood, and I was very successful. I was, a, you know, uh, all CIS in football and baseball and basketball. Just I, I was a starting point guard. On the varsity basketball team, I had learned to play basketball where I got that good. Uh, when I first, I couldn't even bounce a ball back in the seventh grade when Bob, you know, he got me out of there just out to, to play basketball. Not, not to be, really make me a basketball would keep me out of trouble. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I just, 
looked and learned and, and got better and worked at it and got better and better. Uh, but anyhow, so I, I get to, I get to UCLA comes into my house. They recruit me, and I'm going, oh, my, my dad's getting all excited. Gee, you, you can get a scholarship go to school. And not thinking my GPA is like 1.9, 1.8. I'm below too low. And uh, I get uh, Texas comes into my home. University of Washington comes into my home. I get Annapolis comes into my home. And I'm going, I got all these schools that want to give me a scholarship. Well, I can't go to a doghouse because yeah. my grade. And, right. uh, and so I, I really got disappointed. Anyhow, I, I ended up going to Long Beach City College, which was, uh, again, a good thing. Bob is still at Millican. And anyhow, I break my collarbone the first year. I'm a freshman, and I break my collarbone playing. I've got who it was the scrimmage before the season, so here I, oh, I lose that freshman year. Yeah. And uh, uh, back then we had to draft, and uh, so I said, "God, I'm going to be ineligible." Uh, anyhow, and my grades also were below two zero, and uh, so I volunteered for the draft. I everybody that. Was I, I forgot what it was, 20 or 19 or 20, you're eligible for the draft. They drafted everybody unless you had some kind of medical excuse or something. I said, well, I'll just volunteer for the draft and get it over with. And uh, so I do that, and I get drafted, and I go to Fort Lewis, Washington, and go through basic training. I'm an infantryman. I'm a machine gunner. From there, I fly up to uh, Spokane, Washington for advanced infantry training. That's the 4th Infantry, uh, 4th Division. And uh, we have a training TDY where it's a training thing for the whole division. I'm, I'm up there for four or five months. And uh, we, uh, the whole division, I'm talking about all the men. We're talking about probably 1,500 men. Our tanks, our trucks flew out as the first first unit or division to be transferred from one continent to the next since World War II. We went from Spokane, Washington, the whole division, to Europe, to Germany. Wow. And there we were in the fields for a couple of days, and I was, I was a captain's driver there, even though my MOS was a machine gunner. Uh, we drove from Munich, Germany, all the way to uh, Berlin, Germany, and that's where I was. Uh, uh, our unit was supposed to stay for two or three weeks and do special training there, the whole division. And so I had some great experiences. We had to cross that uh, Checkpoint Charlie, cross from the, uh, the, the, not the German, the Russian sector into the American sector. The whole division had to stand You're talking about hundreds of men out of their trucks standing in parade rest for an hour to to check everybody's papers. Right. Then let us board it back. They got on the trucks. I was driving the Jeep. We crossed the border into Berlin or West Berlin. So I'm there for about a week and I get some time off and I go into the gym. I'm working out, or have a good workout, shower, and I come out. And across the gymnasium, there are kind of like the lobby. I'm looking across and here's a kid that I played football and baseball against my whole life. He went to St. Anthony's in Long Beach. And we were on the same CIF team in baseball. Uh-huh. And we both looked at each other. We never spoke to each other. We just played against each other. And we look at each other and go, 
I know you. I know you. Anyhow, Alan is on the baseball team. So, Gil, you want to play baseball? And I go, heck, yes, I want to yeah, play baseball. Yes, I do. I said, my, hey, my company commanders, and I go, let me play baseball. I'm an infantryman. He goes, you know what, Gil? Pull CQ. And what CQ is, somebody in the division had to stay up all night in the division office to answer the phone in case war or fire. Someone has to be awake by that phone. So right. everybody could volunteer for it or everybody, you know, could uh, they take your turns to do it. But you're allowed 24 hours off the next day. They have to give you the next day. So I volunteered for CQ, stayed up all night. I got the next day off, tried out for the baseball team, and I, I didn't think I did very good because I think it's been a year or two since I played baseball. Right. I just had played uh, football because of eligibility problems. Not that I didn't want it because of my grades. And so Captain Leach comes up and he said, well, what do you think? I said, Gee, the important thing is what you think. I said, I thought I did terrible. I said, well, you thought you did terrible. You look better than 90% of the guys out of here. So <laughs> I ended up making the, I made the baseball team. He cuts orders on me. It comes back to my commanding officer. They call me in. The first sergeant says, uh, Major Sones, I can't remember his name, wants to talk to you. And I go in there, and he's got the orders from, from the division, what they call it the Gator Farm, Berlin Command, for me to be transferred for the infantry division to play baseball for this other division. <laughs> he's cutting his, who the hell do you think you are? You're in the United States Infantry. And he takes my orders and tears them in half. And he says, you're not here to play baseball. You're here to fight a war. And he takes my orders and just throws them in my face. Oh. And I get the fuck out of here. Oh, I go, oh, shit. Now, now I'm a shitless, you know? Yeah, and yeah. so I leave. I, I get a hold of Alan. Alan gets a hold of Captain Leach. Captain Leach comes to the company and looks me up. He says, you really want to play? Get oh, God, yeah, I want to play. I'd love to play. And he says, it's going to happen. Well, what happened? The commanding general of Berlin Command is a jock. And not knowing at the time, but all these commanders and all these high-ranking people, they bet on all these sporting events. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all, they're all trying to build the best boxing team, best baseball, football bet. So they can win and they're betting against each other, which I didn't know at the time. But anyhow, the orders come down again from, and I find out from Captain Leach how it was done. He calls my company commander. There's a general talking to a major. He says, Major so-and-so, you have private Mendoza in your, your company, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He says, I need you to do me a favor. Anything, sir. He says, I'd like to have you release him to my command. Can that be done? Yes, sir. Right away. He will have his papers tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> and so I came in. They call me back in. I don't see the major. He don't even want to see me. No. I walk to the door. The first sergeant has my new orders, and he doesn't say, Craig, just throws them at me. And he says, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> just throws them at me. And, that, and that's how I started playing baseball in Europe, only for the GIs. We, we played other divisions, and I got to travel. I mean, I was so lucky. Yeah. Travel all over Europe and play against other divisions oh, in baseball. I, oh, I got to play in the GI World Series in Munich, and that was 
we were the winners of the north. They had winners of the south of Europe. And we met in Munich, and the pitcher to the south was a guy named Mickey Lovich. You ever heard of that name? Uh, I'm not sure. He played for the Detroit uh, played for the Detroit Tigers, oh. major leaguer. Nice. During that time, President Kennedy told the Russians when they were going to Cuba with the missiles, you know, yeah. let us board or blow you out of the water where all of all the, the major leaguers, all the professional athletes were all in reserves units. They were activated. <laughs> but Mickey Lovich was in Europe. I got to face him there. Nice. And they were only activated for six months or a year. That was it. But I got to face him in the G.I. Little series. And, and of course, there was how did you do? I said, well, I hit the ball. I was old for four. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he probably had me hit it where he wanted me to hit it. But I hit the ball. I had a, uh, the, at that time, it was the Los Angeles Angels wanted to sign me to a contract. And going way back, I'm going way back to Lakewood again. When I graduated from Lakewood, I think there were three of us. Back then, they had tryouts. The Los Angeles Dodgers had tryouts at the old Wrigley Field in Los Angeles. It's no longer there. Yeah. But there was a Wrigley Field where the Los Angeles Angels took Lake Club played. Well, the, the Dodgers had a tryout there. I went, of course, I didn't make it. Uh, then then back, let's go back to or forward to, uh, to Munich, Germany. After that tournament, I had a great tournament. Uh, a scout came and spoke to me again, and he was from uh, the Los Angeles Angels. And he says, I'd like to sign you. He says, I can't, I can't give you much, very much money, but I can sign you if you want to be signed. And he told me, for you to move up, you've got to be almost the MVP of every level. He says, but I, I think you're good enough. I'd like to sign. And he had, he had a book for his scout, and this is so impressed my name was in his book you know yeah you went to lakewood high school you did five of the dodgers you da, 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 da. he had background on me in this book i go god i'm, I'm somebody yeah that's awesome <laughs> but i didn't know the people's shit with you know <laughs> and uh but the reason i didn't sign and he told me right there he said i know you're you're a football player too if you sign this contract your eligibility and any other sport is gone. Because right. that's back when you lost your amateur status. Right. And so I had to really think about that. I wanted to come back home and finish playing college football. So I didn't sign. If, if it would have been the way it is today, I would have signed it a second. Yeah. I would have signed it the second. If I wouldn't have made it, I could fall them back and, and finish playing college football. Yeah. But back then, you know, once you signed the pro contract, you were through as a prof- uh, amateur. Oh wow! Okay. But that, that's why I didn't sign. And uh, anyhow, I ended up coming home and uh, uh, going to Long Beach City College. Played on national championships. Same as sixty-four national champions. Played in the Junior Rose Bowl in Tyler, Texas. Got a full ride to Fresno State. Uh, and again, uh, a blessing. You know, I was a quarterback my whole life, a free safety, yeah. and played baseball the whole time, and I, I ended up playing at Long Beach City College. Well, Greg Barton beat me out of quarterback. I was such a good athlete. Jim Stanglin said, you know what, i got to put you somewhere. He puts me at fullback. Well, uh, Elwood Stewart was a fullback, and he's from Long Beach Poly, one of the running backs. And, you know, those running backs. Yeah. And, of course, 
I, I was second team there, and, and again, Stanglin wanted me on the field somewhere. Elwood Stewart, I mean, it was Elwood, uh, not Elwood Stewart. He ended up playing for the University of Michigan the following year. He moved me to tight end, and that's where I started. Oh, okay. That's where I got a full scholarship. And when I got, and they recruited me for a linebacker, me not knowing that. I thought they recruited me to be a tight end. They recruited me to Fresno State. I ended up starting at linebacker the following year, never playing linebacker in my life. And there's where I played my last two years. So you go back now as a teacher and a coach. I played in the backfield most of my whole life, yeah. being a quarterback, read, reading the secondary, the rotations, the zones versus man. So I knew that because I had good teachers teaching me that. Okay. Then I became a tight end. That I, That's offensive line play along with catching the ball. I learned how to block up for offensive line play. Then the Fresno State, they made me a linebacker. Well, I was a linebacker dropping, but I had to play a lot of times on the line of scrimmage. So I understood what defensive line play was like. Right. Me being in the secondary in defense, I knew secondary play. So as a coach, it really made me a, a – I mean, as a player, it made me become a better coach. Well, when I graduated, uh, Daryl Rogers, another Long Beach guy, was the head coach. Daryl Rogers, he had played in the NFL. And he says, I want you to be my graduate assistant. I was a wow. He said, we'll, we'll continue your scholarship which I was able to finish my master's degree paid for. Oh, wow, and so yes. I did that. I was a graduate assistant, got my major. I was still married to my wife and had my son, uh, Walter. He was only, when I went up there, he was six months old. So he was, he was uh, a little over two years old when I, when I graduated. Right. And uh, then I had my daughter, Elena. And so my first job I got was at Baldwin Park High School when I came back down well, the, the another year, I was a graduate assistant that first year. I, it took me a year and a half to get my master's. <laughs> like I told you, I was not a good student, and that's even with a lot of help. Well, no, Daryl Rogers, I did such a good job as a GA. He hired because now I'm 26 years old. I was 25. My name was Pappy on the football team because I was the old man. <laughs> I'm 25, and everybody else is 19 and 20 and 21. So I was Pappy. On the team, so I was a GA that first year. The following year, Daryl Rogers says, "He says I see that you still need 12 years to complete your graduate work. We'll continue your scholarship. I want you to coach the defensive line." And I coached the defensive line, so I was there coaching at Fresno State for two years before I ended up coming back home. And and Daryl, he sat sat me down. He's got to want to make an appointment with you and have lunch with you. I said, God, a great coach. So we went to lunch, and he he hurt my feelings, but he challenged me. Right. And while we're having lunch, is the reason we're having this lunch is you belong at this level. You've coached now two years here at Fresno State. You belong at this level, and you're never going to be able to do it. And why? You're not smart enough. Oh. Well, it was like getting kicked, like getting kicked in the nuts, yes. you know. And I didn't argue with him or say anything because he seen my transcripts of Fresno. I then when I graduated, I only had like a two three two four, but it was over a two zero. Yeah. <laughs> that made me eligible to graduate and to play. And uh, but he said you're not smart enough. Well, oh, that man. that was a challenge. That is. So when I came back home down south, 
I had all kinds of people to help me get a job down here. Bob Cooper helped me. He played for Bob Myers. That seventh grade team, Bob Myers, I mean, uh, Bob Cooper was one of my running backs on the side, but Cooper was a teacher already. I called him up. I said, Bob, I, I need a job bad. I got two kids, and, and I got my teacher's credential. And I says, uh, he said, well, go to one of these national conventions, which was in Santa Monica at the time. I ended up getting hired at a place called Ballin Park High School. And, boy, it was a war zone. It's uh, uh, got, uh, at the end of 605 Freeway, all the way up to the 210, way up there. It was Baldwin Park up there. And I would go to this school, and there were more cop guards around the, the school and police officers than were students. Oh, the houses across the street didn't have front doors or windows to them. And I go, I said, do I really want this job? I go, yeah, when you're hungry and you have nothing, you're damn right. So, well, with first time in 20 years, we go, we only lose one game, go to the semifinals of CIF. Then Bob Johnson, I don't know if you know who Bob Johnson is. He's the winningest high school coach now uh, in the state of California. He was at Mission Viejo, first El Toro in Mission Viejo. He was our quarterback at Fresno State. He hires me at Los Amigos, and there's where I get a job coaching there. And, again, somebody out reaching out to help me. I coached there three years, and we were brand new, so we only had freshmen, sophomores. So we got beat up a lot playing these other schools with juniors, seniors. So after two years of coaching there, I get a phone call in the middle of the night, and it's the defensive coordinator at Cal State Fullerton, uh, John Good, Good, uh, Gooden. He had played for uh, John, uh, can't think of his name, but Sandy, down in San Diego State. Okay. He, had, he, he, he coached the Oakland Raiders to a couple of Super Bowls. Uh, but he, uh, he was the defensive coordinator of San Diego State, and John had played for him. And he got the job at Cal State Fullerton. Well, they needed a D-line coach, not me knowing. I'm just busy and happy I had a job teaching at the high school and coaching. And I get a phone call like about 11 o'clock at night. I'm asleep, and I wake up, and it's John and two or three other guy coaches that coach at Cal State Fullerton that I knew. And they said, Gil, we've been interviewing coaches for two weeks. We need a defensive line coach. We're not happy with the people applying, and we're at this pizza parlor, and we're drinking beer and eating pizza, and all of a sudden someone says, Mendoza. Gil Mendoza, that, that's the guy we want. That's the guy we need. And they call me at home, and they're drunk. And I go, yeah. you know what, guys? Call me up tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Tell me the same thing. Well, you guys are shit-faced. Yeah. And they're laughing. They say, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're going to get that phone call, Gil, to the next morning. I'm, I'm kind of anxious, but not, you know. They're playing a joke on me. Yeah. So they called me up at 10. He says, Gil, and they get through the whole process. Everybody that is Gil, you're the guy we want. The job's yours, but we don't hire. We have an appointment. This was Saturday. It was Friday night. They called me Saturday morning. They called me again to tell me we have an appointment tomorrow, Sunday morning, with uh, Pete Yoder, the head football coach, at 10 o'clock at Cal State in the, in the president's office. I go, you guys aren't pulling my leg. You're, you know, this. This will hurt if I go all the way there. And they says, we're not bullshitting you, Gil. 
you're the guy. We want you. All you got to do is accept it. We got the interviews. So sure enough, I go to Cal State Fullerton. And this is funny. At my freshman year at Long Beach City College, the head coach, Pete Yoder, he was the other quarterback. Oh. Tim and I were quarterbacks together at Long Beach. Small world. Oh, yeah. Is somebody up there looking over me or what? Yeah. I meant walked to, to the meant door. Meant to be, man. Goes, meant to be. I think this is line coach. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, they hire me. They hire me, and I'm there two years, and I want to get out of the area. And so the job opens up here at Moore Park College, and Pete tells me, he goes, you know what? You're going to get this. I'm, I'm going to recommend you. The principal at the high school had been to in the past. I called him. Because he was very impressed, the work, the teaching job that I and and could relate to minority kids. Because I was at Los Amigos High School for a couple of years before I got out, before they hired me. And of course, working with minority kids, principal seeing how I how they responded to me. And uh, so he wrote me a great letter. And then, uh, uh, Dale Rogers at Fresno State, he says. He says, I'm going to write you a letter, too. Anyhow, I get the job at Park College. What made me feel good, there were three finalists for the interview. One guy, and I can't remember their names, one guy played at UCLA. You know, the guy played at SC. I played at Fresno State. But I was the most qualified on paper. And when I interviewed for the job, they said, my God, what you do, blow these guys? <laughs> That's the best recommendation you've ever seen in our life. <laughs> I said, I don't know. I, I must have done, you know, really well for them. That, that's how I got the job at Moore Park College. And that's what then, you know, now I got to go out in the streets and recruit. And this is where uh, for almost 30 years I was at Moore Park College. And yeah. uh, came across a lot of kids that I know I, I was able to help. And they was again, doing the same thing Bob did for me. Right. Just reaching out to kids and. And, and, and making the bed for them, and they, they had to do it. And I have a letter here, Brad, that uh, Meyer sent me 10, 15 years ago. All of a sudden, I get a letter from Bob, and I go, God, what's this from Bob? And Bob, what it is, Bob's saying, you know what, Gil, you've given me credit for all the sex, success that you've had as a teacher and a coach and even a father with your family and what you've done with your, with your children. You know, all I did, all I did was show you what you needed to do, but you got to give yourself credit because you're the one that had to do it. I didn't do it for you. All I could do was tell you and and show you, but you're the one that did it, yeah. So give yourself some credit. (laughs) Yeah, And that was a really good letter. I, I agree with that too. And just knowing, you know, just hearing the story and, and, you know, just relating it to my experience, you know, the experiences that I've had and, and more recently my experience, um, you know, with PTSD and all, and in those mental health issues that I've had, you know what, man, it's, you, you were offered an opportunity and a choice and it was 100% your choice to follow the path that you did bob opened up that door and you you made that choice and now because of that because of that one thing look at probably the ripple effect of that choice and now the choices that you've offered and the influence that you've had on other 
uh, kids over the past 30 years, you know, coaching and, 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 you, and your own kids and everything, man. I just, I think it's fascinating. And I definitely agree with coach where you, uh, you know, you got to give yourself some credit at some point because you did it, man. It would, no one else can do it for you and you did it. So for that, I, I just wanted to say that and commend you and, and give you, give you a little bit of credit too. Well, you know, and then, and then it comes to my family that I'm so proud. I mean, uh, it's, we're very, very poor, and we're all successful in our own ways. Uh, my brothers, sisters, uh, and we, we, I, I probably was the worst one of them all growing up. You know, once the light went on, I, I changed in more ways than one. Yeah. And uh, but you talk about in trouble all the time, doing things really hard on my my mother, not my. My dad, you didn't say boo to my dad. My dad, well, he'd knock me right to the door. You know, when my dad came home, you could hear a pin drop. Yeah. You know, he he made you stand tall all the time. He, we respected adults. We respected authority. Right. We respected people's property. That's one thing. He, and he would tell us, I don't care if you get an F, academic. You better get an A for uh, citizenship. Right. You know, you you better not get in trouble in school when I got old. That's why I said when I met Bob, you know, do anything, break my arm, beat me to death, don't tell my father. Because right. yeah. I knew it was going to be hell. And he was so strict. I, I don't know if I said it, you know, when I was with Bob, you know, with his birthday, but he had to write a note, just a little slim enough, get a left practice at 4.30. Or else I didn't eat dinner. And that was the honest truth. Right. Yeah, no, that's... That's how, that's how hard-ass my dad was. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I had it better than a lot of other kids. A lot of the kids didn't have a mother or father right. or a father or a mother. They were brought up with their their grandparents, you know. I, I had a loving mother, thank God. If I hadn't had her, I don't know what I would have been like. Because my dad beat the shit out of me. And at times, I needed it, but... The United States Army Division One football was a vacation compared to my father. Two of my brothers are Vietnam vets. One got shot twice, and they both, we, we sit down as brothers and says, you know what? If it hadn't have been for Dad being a son of a bitch, we would have never made it through Vietnam. Right. <clears throat> yeah, I, 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 I mean, I can't even relate to that going to war, but, you know, I can imagine... Yeah, you know, your environment, uh, you know, influencing your behavior. You know, do you do you think that you know, and 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 I guess your environment influencing your behavior, because you know, you look at where you were, where you were growing up in Watts, and then your dad made that choice, and you moved to Lakewood. Um, do you think the change of environment influences your behavior? Um, you know, like I, I'm. I mean, I get the sense that it, it does, but do you think that that helped you, you know, and you're kind of, that was like part of a, part of your journey and part of your step moving forward? Yeah, I, even today, you know, uh, kids have academic problems uh, of eligibility. The first thing I ask them, you know, the head coach, he's really mad at him, and I don't blame him because not only he's cheating himself, but he's cheating his teammates. Yeah. And, uh, and the first thing, and I think way back, I mean, I didn't cheat my teammates. 
I tried as hard as I could. I just wasn't very good in the classroom. You know, I, I, I learned to read better as I went to By the time I graduated from college, I could read pretty good. Not great. Today, I probably read 10 books in my lifetime. I just, because my attention span, just, you know, Mickey, and all the books, they're all baseball books. Mickey Mantle, you know, Babe Ruth, uh, Hank, uh, are all athletic books that I can read, because I've never really been a good reader. And my wife, my wife today, you know, she works law, and, uh, uh, and I say to myself, I said, did you ever think I was a dummy? <laughs> With some of my vocabulary, never, ever thought that. Yeah. She says, I, I thought you were pretty smart. I go, boy, did I fool you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But she, she's smart as a whip. Yeah. Uh, but I, again, got up there just my whole life, Brad, has been over and, and has helped and guided me and and pointing me the right direction to the right people that are, that reached out. So many things. I can't, I, I mean, I just keep going over and over. Yeah. My first year, I got my baby, six months old, a bed in the, that's it. We're in an apartment, empty, nothing in it. The next day, the defensive coordinator, Bob Burgess, what a great guy. The truck backs up to our apartment. There's 10 football players that come in. They bring in old, huge furniture, kitchen table, chairs, a couch, uh, end tables, lamps, stuff. They said, when you're done, Gil, you don't sell this or give it away. You let us know. We have a storage place. We'll pick it up, and somebody like you will be able to use it. I mean, just things like that. Yeah. <clears throat> no, it's, it's truly amazing, and it just goes to show you, man, how, you know, and I believe this 100% that sports that there's so many life lessons in sports that you can take you know from sports and and use in the rest of your life and the camaraderie that you build and the learning how how to be on a team and learning how to be part of the bigger group and um you know how how what everybody does individually affects the rest of the team and that translates to your family too right and I just I think that that's a great message that uh, you know these life lessons in sports and the support you can have from sports is something that you know I, I wish everyone could experience and like you said not everybody is 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 athletic or wants to play sports but I I believe that everybody that does play sports will will um, you know benefit from those uh, experiences one hundred percent so. Yeah, I think that's I think that's amazing. And do you think yeah. uh, what do you what do you think? Just if I can just ask you like an actual question, but what do you think? Is there something that you are most proud of in your life, or or your biggest accomplishment? Something that you look at and go, you know what? That's that's amazing. I I think you know besides getting to the point coaching, more importantly than that was. Being a good father. Yeah. Being a good example for them. Right. Being there, being there for them. Right. I, I just, I, that, it's so important. And, and because of that, being there, I've had uh, my wife that 
I, I wouldn't, I honestly don't think I would have been as successful without her. She, she's 15 years younger than I am. That's my second marriage. And yeah. I even ran from her. She got mad. Yeah. But, you know, there's 15 years difference and a beautiful, intelligent woman. And uh, I just, I backed off and I said, you know what? I, this is probably not right, but I, I, I had a terrible first marriage and, you know, I don't want to do this again. And I'm much older than you. And I just, why don't, why don't we just date? You go date. You just just take a month off, not see each other. Go do your. I'll do my thing, and let's see if this is. Boy, she wouldn't even answer the phone. Yeah, she was so upset. With, I had to go sit on her porch. <laughs> but I, I knew after that month, you know, I just said, you know what? She's the right. God made her for me. Yeah, she just. Well, every she was a jock. She was an athlete. She wanted to compete. So intelligent, a beautiful woman. Everything I ever wanted, God, there it is. I've been married to her now almost 40 years, and nice. what a wonderful person, a wonderful. Oh, and I was so lucky. Yeah. Again, I keep telling you, God had a wand follow me around going, here you go, we're going to help you here, or, or we're going to help you here. <laughs> yeah. No, you. yeah, I mean – it's it's amazing when you can feel that grateful and that lucky for, you know, for being alive and yeah. for all the relationships that you have and you got you know, you have created this for you and your family and you know, your your wife of 40 years and your you know, your kids and they're all successful and you got good relationships with them and you know, based on where you came from to where you are now, you know, if you didn't make those amazing choices and you know, to, to go in the right directions, you know, who knows what would have happened and, and look what you've created. I, to me, that's just, and that's why I, you know, I really wanted to talk to you because your story is just so fascinating. And, uh, you know, you're even, even the way that you still, you know, you're still going for it and you're, you know, are, you're, are you, are you 70? 70? I'll be eighty. I'll be eighty next year. Yeah, man, you're eighty years old, and you're still hitting the gym harder than anybody else in the gym. I think that's just you know what you know when you have that. That's so inspiring. I just think uh, you know you're just uh, well, doing an amazing. Well, job. Every, everybody I hang out with at the gym, they're either retired police officers, some of them are coaches. I'm anywhere from five to ten years older than they are, and even there, they go to say. They're amazed because, God, Gil, don't you ever take a break? You work your ass off. I go, that that's just me. You know, yeah. I, I come to the gym. I'm socializing with you guys, but I have things to do, and I'm, I'm going to get it done because I, I, I want to live 10 more years if I can. I'd love to be able to see my grand, one of my four grandchildren. That, you know, I have six yeah. grandchildren, but the two aren't athletic at all. But one of the four I hope play so I can see them play. I don't care. If it's golf or tennis, whatever it is, right. I'd love to see one of them. Well, I'm sure you will, man. And uh, I just wanted to say I truly appreciate you taking the time out of your day to to call me up here in the up here in the Great White North of uh, in Vancouver. And you know, hopefully, hopefully, maybe we can uh, hook up when we come down to California. I'd love to, you know, sit and chat with you again. I love talking. And uh, you have a great, uh, lot of, um, a lot of great stories, so I'd love to hear some more of them. And maybe one day we can chat again. 
And uh, again, I just I'm um, so grateful that I got the chance to uh, to speak to you. And now, uh, you know, we can share your story and and hopefully help other people and who maybe you know are, are struggling to make some choices in their life and uh, they see what you've done and the life you've created and uh, it's truly inspirational man so for that i thank you well thank you for taking the time and, and reaching out and and allowing me to express my because no one's ever bob myers even this is about 10 years ago he he says gil you you got to write a story of your life you know your your background your life it's just yeah. remarkable what you've done what mm-hmm. you've got you got to write a story and then right away i said Bob, you know I don't write real well. So they got on the phone called Jessica. Yeah. <laughs> Jesse, you you gotta write your dad's story. <laughs> yeah. No, and you know what, man? Honestly, I had when it, when I heard your story, I my first thought was, I want to write Gil's book. Like that that was the first <laughs> thing that came into my head because I just honestly, the more I talked to you, and and I know we only we talked for an hour and. And I know that we only touched the tip of the iceberg with, you know, your stories. But, um, yeah, that was the first thought. That's funny that you say that because, honestly, I thought I, I need to write Gil's book because that is like it's just the story is just it's fascinating. So. My daughter, the one who went to Oregon State, yeah. they asked Jessica to write a book about her and her sister growing up playing softball, what it was like growing up and playing travel softball with school, life, and mom and dad. Yeah. She wrote a book. It's coming out this month oh. or at the end of this month. Okay. It's yeah, I think called, I saw that uh, on, on Jessica's Twitter uh, feed there. But uh, what, do you know the name of the book? Pardon? Do you know the name of the, the book the, so we can give it a little plug here? There's no base like home plate. Okay. Or home base. That's it. No base like home base. No base like home base. And it, it's probably going to be available on Amazon and the, the different places where uh, people buy books. Yeah, it's supposed to come out this month, and they, they, they put it off until next month. And uh, it's, uh, it's, about, it's about my wife and I and just the two. And the names are fictitious and right. stuff. But, uh, Alana, Alana wrote the book. Jessica just said, I, I don't have the time, but my, my, my sister can write it. And they said, okay. Amazing. I, I'll definitely have to read that book. And uh, mm-hmm. I will, I'll share, uh, when, I, when I put the, um, the show notes together, I'll, I'll put uh, the information about the book too. And we can uh, try and maybe help sell a few copies. Why not? Well, good. Hey, thank you, Brad. Okay. Hey. I wish you luck with your your family and your your kid and your wife and everything that you're taking the time doing the same thing, hoping you reach out to somebody. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, and uh, you know I, I would love to connect again. So let's keep in touch, man. Okay. Thank you very much, Brad. Okay. Thanks, Gil. Bye bye. Yeah. Bye bye. Wow. Honestly, that's all I can say is wow. I I just, I cannot tell you how much Gil's story impacted me. I, he remembers everything about his life in so much great detail. 
I cannot wait to talk to him again. Honestly, I'm just, I'm so excited about you listening to this conversation. And I'm so excited that I have the opportunity to share it and listen to Gil and have the opportunity to talk to him again, because I cannot wait to talk to him again and tell more of his story because it is absolutely a story exactly in the spirit of this podcast of resilience and overcoming obstacles and making changes and helping people and and doing the most with what you have and knowing that our lives are just full of choices and those and that's all it really is we have these choices to make you choose one thing or choose the other and really making choices it's not about right or wrong or good or bad they're only choices and and even if you choose something that doesn't work out you have another choice so if there's any takeaways from this i just hope that it's you know that there's choices you know that there's people that have had environments that don't enable them to do the things they want to do but they chose to make changes and and to me that's just so inspiring so i hope you really enjoyed this podcast it was very it's a very heartfelt conversation from Gil and I don't know how many people this might help, but if it helps one person by inspiring somebody to do something they might not normally do or make a different choice in their life, then I am so grateful for that. So thank you for listening. Please share this podcast, listen to it again and again, share it like it, leave me a review on iTunes. Those really help as well. And we just keep creating more listeners. I'm up over 500 downloads now. And man, I can't even begin to tell you how exciting that is for me. I can't even, I can't even picture how many people that is, but I'm so excited to have 500, over 500 downloads of my podcasts so far. So I know we're helping somebody somewhere. That being said, I hope you guys have an awesome week and I cannot wait for the next podcast or to share the next podcast. Um, I am having a great conversation next week with somebody who you'll know and uh, I can't wait to share it with you. Anyways, I'm out of here. I'm Brad and this has been Beyond the Big Red Truck Podcast.